um, all of you seem to travel alone. You've got no friends? Uh, no. <laughs> I have got some very good friends here in a book. But, yeah, again, I, I mean, I actually did start my travels with a friend. Uh, a tra I, well, I call him the travelling companion. Um, I got the idea, uh, light bulb moment, you know, sitting in the backyard barbecue in Australia, blurted out, I'm going to ride a motorcycle across Africa. And the group of people all there said, oh, that sounds like a great idea, we'll come too. And as the days went on, they all, oh no, I don't think I'll do that. But two months before the trip, one of those people in that group came up to me and said, oh, I, I still want to travel Africa with you on the motorcycle. And I said, yeah, no worries. Like, I've done all the planning and got it all together and poured over maps. I, I worked um, as a radiation safety technician and I used to do a 24-hour shift. So I'd spend my night shift um, just planning my trip, you know, where I basically it was just looking at a Michelin map and reading Ted Simon's Jupiter's Travels. So this was before the age of the internet and I couldn't Google anything. Um, so, so two months before the trip, my, this guy said, um, join me. We were work colleagues at the mine didn't know each other and I just thought that our um, you know, interest to go to Africa would be enough to make us suitable travelling companions. Not so. It was um, five tension-filled months, which was from road down to, uh, from Jabiru near Darwin, down the western Australian coast to Perth, got on a cargo ship in Fremantle, across to Durban, round South Africa and up to Kenya. And so that whole time we were sort of on the travellers' trail of East Africa, which um, the Lonely Planet has a lot to blame for this. <laughs> sort of bagging Tony on the other day a little bit. But, um, you know, because what happens... You're one of our main sponsors. <laughs> you've got to be jolly careful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love the Lonely Planet. They're great for these finding places, embassies, when you're in, in cities in foreign places. But what a lot of people do, backpackers, um, is they go from one hostel or hotel or um, cafe to the next. So there's this like trail of them and they all meet up all the way along. And this is what my travelling companion wanted to do. So his idea of travelling Africa was, you know, backpacker hostels, cold beers and rubber steak. And mine was villages, orgali and goat, goat meat stew. And so we never, we were never going to get on. So it was, it, and, you know, travelling companions are so overrated. You know, you're better off travelling on your own. You meet people all the time and they'll be the kind of people just like you. And, you know, this um, guiding hand of a greater force or whatever, you know, universal energy or whatever will bring those people to you because you're moving forward, you're taking those steps on your journey. So, yeah, so... so I'm sorry, I can't come on your South America trip. No. And, and I... I'm now a single mum with three kids and a mortgage, and I, apparently when uh, my twins are 19, I can leave home. So, but they're already saying, oh, it'd be great to travel the world by motorcycle. Um, um, Agostinus, you've nearly always travelled alone. Uh, uh, do you feel like gets greater access? It has to in a way. Yeah, uh, I think travelling, the more travel companion you have, the more uh, the smaller proportion of travel experience that you get. So if you travel with someone, so your experience is divided by two. If you have three of you, it's divided by three. And I'm traveling alone, but I don't feel lonely because uh, I think, well, you have more access to, to talk with the people. You have more uh, energy to observe and experience the place. And uh, as I told you before, like the used camera, it's not only about memory, but it's also a I 
Africa is a perfect Africa. Sometimes you can make friends by taking pictures of people on the road and then you start chatting. And it also helps me to see the details that I cannot see sometimes with my eyes, but I can see it from my camera because when you compose, when you frame, oh, you see the details and you can see the story behind it. Um, and the second thing about uh, travel companion is uh, when you are traveling with someone uh, together, uh, your, your uh, conversation tends to be about your place, about the people you know, so you might be at, in the deep jungle of Papua New Guinea, but you keep talking about the new gossip in Jakarta. So your body is in Papua New Guinea, but your mind is in Jakarta. And now our travel companion is not in the, uh, it's not only about human companion. We are com accompanied by 24 hours internet named smartphone. And this smartphone also makes you don't live at the moment. You are in somewhere and you keep checking your email 24 hours, you keep uh, refreshing your Instagram or Facebook. At the end, you lose so much of the travel experience. You are not living in the moment. So, uh, I, not only I, uh, I travel alone, because traveling alone makes me a chance to make a lot of friends in everywhere I go, I also turn off my mobile phone most of the time when I travel. So can I come on your next trip to Papua New Guinea? Um, me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Richard, can I ask you, um, I think we've established that you don't want, that um, none of you are prepared to put up with anybody else on your trips for very good reasons. Let me ask you a question. Um, one of the things we were talking about yesterday was when you travel alone, and actually when you travel, sometimes you're stripping down layers of yourself, and you discover as much about yourself as you do the country you're traveling in, or certainly significant things about yourself, which sounds in a way counterintuitive. You're going to travel to discover about another place. You discover something about yourself. Can you talk about that a bit? Um, yes, gladly. It's, um, and you're right, you're, you're, you're kind of, I guess the point is to start sharing clothes or layers of skin, and, and by the longer you live, the, the more skin you have. You know, you, you have jobs, you have families, you have um, uh, you know bills to pay. It's it, it, and these days, it's for me going away. It's cathartic. It's, it's, a, it's a chance to go back to something that I possibly my younger self before I had all these other um, sort of you know attachments. Um, but uh, not that I don't love my family. <laughs> I love them very dearly. But uh, the object of travel, uh, in, the, in my case, is, is to um, sort of remove those and get back to something that um, I, I am in my natural state. And that is exploring things on my own and meeting people. And I, and I guess I just have a, a love of finding out what makes other people tick and what is their story. And of course it fills pages, it fills books. Um, it's not about me at all, although of course the writer gets into the book. You you find out something about the author when you're reading a book that they've written, be it a travel book or, or, or a piece of fiction. Um, but the greatest uh, example of this, um, not with this book in China, although there were many challenging moments in, uh, that, and of course I suppose I go looking for them as well, I don't make life easy on myself, but uh, the time I was in Afghanistan, and that was during the war in 1989, and I'd left Herat, which is in the northwestern corner of Afghanistan, there was a lot of fighting going on. I was with Hezbollah, Mujahideen. My name was Masood. I was a completely different person with a turban and a shalwar khamis and a long beard. And, um, and I had to start walking. I had to walk to Pakistan. There was no way of going back into Iran. I'd be immediately arrested and, and uh, 
Okay, I've already escaped out of Iran into Afghanistan. But um, many weeks into the war, and I was handed by village from one village to another village, and so on and so on. And um, there was a point in time when I really was marooned in a, in a very large piece of desert, and I was starting to get very tired. And I lay down, and uh, or sort of sat down on a rock, and felt really miserable about myself. And um, and of course, I looked up in the sky, and I could see the vapor trails of an aircraft, probably traveling you know, at 700 kilometers an hour. I didn't know if it was a passenger airliner. If it was, it was in dangerous territory. So I'm pretty sure it was a military. But it, it, it was sophisticated travel. It was traveling very fast. And I, up till now, I've been walking. I can't, I had, was given a horse occasion, but I can't ride. And um, a horse, and, um, and so I was, I'm better off on my own two feet. Donkeys are way too slow. Camels are just ridiculously uncomfortable and annoying. Um, so, I would be on my own two feet. So, but this was getting the better of me because the Westerner inside me just wanted to get on the number five bus. It wanted to hail a cab. It wanted to look up and be on that plane, sitting possibly in seat B33, drinking champagne. And, um, and I remember it suddenly occurred to me the last bit of Western or lazy Western traveler just evaporated. The last bit of that clothing disappeared. And I knew that it was only one person who was going to get me to Pakistan, and it was me, and it was these two legs, and I just had to stand up and do what the Afghans do. Not worry about how long it would take, it's just to keep moving. And actually, this is another, just a slight add-on to that. In the beginning, I would say to them, we'd be walking, and I would be going, where would we end up? Oh, I, you know, I wonder how long, you know, and they would be, you know, they would say, Masul, you know, it's going to take as long as it takes. No, I mean, if we stop, if we walk slowly, it will take longer. If we walk fast, it will be shorter. Um, so they, would sort of, they could understand this concept and uh, my fascination with the, the time and distance. But it was at that time of... Fascinating. Fantastic.